0: Well, we are continuing in 1 Corinthians in chapter 7, one of those portions of Scripture where I start to study and then I start praying a lot more because there is some depth here and then I'm like, well, how do I talk about this and how do I talk about that and how far do you go? And we've been talking about the Corinthians and their culture. We've been talking about their highly sexualized culture. We had talked a lot about... Uh, marriage, relationships. We talked about some foundational truths about marriage and family, and we're going to be building on that. Uh, today's study is PG-13. And we're going to be talking about sex and marriage and sexuality according to the scriptures. Um, it's not going to be uh, risque. We're not going to be talking about anything like that, but we want to talk about these principles, and I want to make sure that we're if, whether the kids are here in the sanctuary this morning or whether you're online, you got them sitting in your lap, some of the stuff you're going (laughs) to blush. That being said, the Corinthians had no such reservations in their first century world. They had the temple priestesses and priests that would uh, be walking down the streets. They had different uh, viewpoints on terms of sexuality and marriage. We talked about last week about how it's not just an appetite that you fulfill. It's not just like, well, you desire it, therefore you should fulfill it. But in that culture, that is exactly how they felt it should be done. We talked about how in that culture, nothing was new under the sun, the things that we're experiencing today, where they were experiencing back then to a far greater extreme. I talked about Caesar Nero and his relationships and his uh, attitudes. We talked about the first century. We talked about that town in, in general, the Corinthians, with their wealth, their money, their acting, um, the athletics, and how they all pointed to this highly sexualized, immoral society. And that was normal. And it's interesting that, again, as I repeat over and over again, nothing's new under the sun because we're in a very similar culture today. We're experiencing the same kind of redefining and redefinitions and trying to throw out old norms. And we're trying to differentiate between what are biblical principles for all of humanity and for all time and how do we navigate those things in our lives. And so today we're going to be rebuilding. We're going to do a little detox. You know, when you eat bad all over the weekend, you know, you had all the ice cream shakes and sundays and cake and you wake up on Monday morning, you're just like, oh my gosh, what happened? You need to go through a little detox. Well, culturally, we've been fed all this garbage in our minds, and and it starts to twist our thinking a little bit. It starts to mess with our inner man. And so the Bible says in Ephesians 5, talking about the washing of the water by the word, we're going to do the same thing this morning. So let's pray that the Lord shows us and teaches us from this scripture, speaks to us about the Corinthian culture and into ours. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for this chapter. We thank you for this section we thank you that you're a real God with a real, world, with a real word for the real world, Lord. I thank you as you move through your spirit this morning through your word and just have expectation for you moving in our hearts and just showing us what's real and what's not, what's make-believe and what's a real struggle, Lord. Help to realign us and to teach us. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at that introduction, let's read just the first two verses of chapter 7 together. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is not good for a man to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. You know, when we're talking about sexuality in the church, there was a time when I would say, you know what, we should have certain ages, and we really shouldn't talk about these things until... You know, you're ready to have the talk. And over the last 10 years, my thinking on that has just completely changed because the kids are being brainwashed. Let's just start straight out the gate. Let's just come right in and say, you go and you watch the Disney Channel today. That used to be the Safe Channel. What are they doing? Indoctrinating your kids. And they think that that is going to make them more money. I, I just recently saw the CEO and the head of marketing saying the very same thing, that... Our culture needs to change because the youth are dictating to us that that's what it's supposed to be. That was per them. That was per them. Nope. No. But the, the thing about with you're raising kids, and I'm raising young kids right now, I want to be first. I want the Bible to be first. I want the church to be first. I want us to get there, and I want us to start getting there and getting them on a good, healthy diet of truth to start so they can start differentiating these things. Because unfortunately, the kids are going to come to you already with those thoughts implanted in their minds, and then you're going to say, no, it's not like that, and you're going to be like, well, I don't know anymore. Last week, we started on some big foundations. I want to start on the same thing this morning. But first and foremost, let's look at this chapter. Number one, there is a question that was given to Paul in a previous letter. That's what he's addressing. He says there in verse one, concerning the things which you wrote to me. There's an issue they're wrestling out out there in Corinth. And we know they got lots of issues they're dealing with. We've already been through a few of them. But this is one, and they're talking about sexuality. And he says, number one, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Does that mean you can't play tag football? No, this is a fancy way of saying you cannot have intercourse with anyone you're not married with. Seems like a pretty good, easy statement. Not to the Corinthians it wasn't. This is culturally to the Gentile pagans. This is a reaffirming of something that is completely foreign to them. You see, in their way of thinking with the priestess, let's say your wife was out of town, your husband was out of town for a little bit, you had an appetite. Well, you just stop into the local market, local store, and you just feed that appetite and you go back home. And your wife, your husband comes home, no big deal, what's the problem? I had an appetite, I fulfilled it. That's how they thought about things. Well, Paul, with his Jewish biblical background, is reaffirming to these pagans, no, 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 you don't do that. I have a friend of mine, he's a pastor in Arkansas, and he tells me a story about when he was the assistant pastor in the San Jose area. And they had um, a particular culture, they had some people that started coming to the church that had never been to church before. And um, I will leave the culture and the people out, but nevertheless, they said there was about three or four guys and he was teaching in this portion of scripture or somewhere whereabouts it. And so there's a question and answer after, afterward. And in their broken English, they're, they're discussing with him. And they tell Brad, my friend Brad, he said, so you mean that we can't see prostitutes? And he's laughing like, are you, are this a joke? Are you like, they had no idea. See, in that culture, it was just the norm. That was just a normal thing. That was not a bad thing. Like, what do you, what do you mean you can't do that? And he said, No, you can't, and went through some different scriptures. Oh, okay, okay. Well, the next couple of weeks, they were teaching a different portion of scripture, and they were, and I'm going to ruin this. Brad will come teach someday. He can share the story. And, like, almost in the middle of the sermon, or very close afterwards, when there's kind of a soccer, it's like, Brad, Pastor Brad, we didn't have any prostitutes this month. (laughs) Well, That's the kind of culture that was going on in Corinth. And Paul's saying, hey, it's good for a man. Don't touch another one. Don't engage. Don't do that. That's not right. We can't be doing that. But then he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. I, I love how real the Bible is. Like we have these desires. They're innate in us. They were made in us. They were put in us for a purpose. And we're going to talk about it and we can't pretend these desires and these urges don't exist. They're saying, "Yeah, it'd be nice if everyone could be celibate and only 100% be focused on Jesus all the time." But it ain't gonna happen. And it's, "Hey, if you're not if you're not called to do that, which 99.9% of people are not, then have a have a spouse. Have a partner." And that's what we're going to start building into some foundations. We are made to be together in Genesis chapter 2, all the way in the beginning. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from a man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is a foundational truth of all of society. The Bible states... To every culture, every tribe, every tongue, the man was created to have marriage between one man and one woman. Now remember, this is going to a culture where that was not the norm. Their emperor at that time had married a boy. He would divorce and become the wife, quote-unquote, of another man. That's the culture they had come from. And so just as it is seemingly radical today, which it's not, It was radical at that time, but it's still true. Now, we're going to talk about grace, and we're going to talk about different relationships and how to deal with the people in our culture that think differently. But as Christians, we need to understand we were made to be together in a covenant. Man, Adam, was created to worship God. He was made for the pleasure of God. Humanity, we were made for God's purposes. The woman was made out of Adam, and they joined together in worship of God. That is the purpose for life. What is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to have a relationship with the Creator. We have been taught in our culture and in the Corinthian culture that the meaning of life is to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. There's nothing new. That was going on in the first century that was said, and that's what we believe today most of the culture But as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, we know that we were made for the pleasure of our Creator. Now, we can only do that, most of us, because there's exceptions in every rule uh, regarding this. Paul's going to explain that soon. We are made to complete each other. I have been married now for 16 years. Megan and I, I was 19, she was 18 when we got married. We made a covenant before God that we were going to be together until we died one of us death is the only escape out of this now megan is out of town this week (laughs) i am lost (laughs) she knows it she mocks me for it she'll make snide comments about it i don't know what i'm doing we are completing each other and i don't really notice it until she's missing now hopefully she's not watching right now because she's just like hollering at the tv yes i told you you (laughs) jerk But what is real marriage? That's why I have the screen up here. What is is real marriage? What is a a real relationship between a man and a woman? Like I told us earlier in the intro, we have this TV Hollywood belief that it's two very gorgeous people hooking up for as long as their needs are fulfilled, and then they just split up when times are rough. If you fall out of love with someone, you just go, quote-unquote, love somebody else. We're being told that it can be between different genders we're being told that it could be across uh, multiple people starting to come back doesn't have to be one or does it could be two or three and we're going back we're regressing back to the culture of the corinthians we don't want a tv version of marriage we don't want a political version of marriage where people are constantly saying you have to agree that marriage is anything that somebody wants it to be quote unquote as long as somebody feels good And for as long as they quote, feel good, that that's what marriage is. Absolutely not. Mankind was created and God established marriage in the Garden of Eden before the fall. That we complete each other. And so there are many single people here today, and you're thinking, well, I don't want to be married, or I want to be married. And you have all these preconceived notions of what your spouse is supposed to be like or what they're supposed to look like or what they're supposed to act like. Let's just do us a favor. Just crumple that all up and throw it in the trash. Because most of that is from Hollywood. It's from politics. It's from outside of the Bible. What does the Bible say? Marriage is under attack because Satan wants to destroy the family. He wants to destroy marriage. He wants to destroy the order that God created. He wants sickness, suffering, and destruction, and he wants to trick us into liking it while we do it. Marriage is dishonored by divorce. Whether it's justified or not, God hates divorce. Now, he does allow it. He does permit it. Like I said, we have real problems. Paul already hinted here in the first few verses, hey, we've got real desires. We've got real needs. Sometimes, A lot of times, you've just got to be smart about it. Marriage is dishonored by living together outside of marriage. The reason I got married so young with Megan is because I was already living with her and I was convicted by a non-believer. I've told that story before. I'll tell it again another time. Marriage is dishonored when you live together outside of marriage. Marriage is dishonored in adultery. Relationships with someone else outside of marriage dishonors the covenant before God. Marriage is dishonored by the redefinition of it throughout the world. This is a hill to die on. Marriage is between one man and one woman in the sight of God until death do you part. Now, the grace of our Lord Jesus, we're going to tie that in, but again, we want to build the standard and the foundation because none of us meets the standard. Let's just come and be very crystal clear. Nobody here has attained... You know, I've been married for 16 years. There's people here that have been married twice as long as that. There's people that have been married here longer than I've been alive, which isn't that hard because I'm pretty young. But (laughs) there's also people here that have had multiple divorces. You've had spouses abandon you. Maybe you've abandoned a spouse. Maybe things didn't work out. Maybe someone has died and you got remarried. You know, we have real people here with real lives. But we need to put marriage back where it belongs. And we need to talk about sexuality within marriage. The Bible says in Hebrews 13.4, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. But what does that mean? Marriage is a high place. It should be esteemed highly. It is the foundation of the family. It's the foundation of society. Now, people are trying to redefine society and what society is. But as Christians, as Bible-based Christians... This is the very foundation of our home. Now, it also says here that intimacy between a husband and a wife, enjoy. What is the limit? What can you do? What can you not do? Not a discussion for the pulpit. <laughs> but I will tell you undefiled. There are different people, you have different needs, you have different desires, there's different things in relationships. We're going to talk about that just briefly. But anything outside of marriage is, is a sin, is against God. Now, before we continue, before we go back to Adam and Eve, before we go back to anything else, I want to be crystal clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us meets the standard. And just in case you think you do, Jesus put the kibosh on that. He said, no way. He said, if you even look at a person to lust after them, you've committed adultery in your heart. There is not a person here that isn't guilty of that. And when we see people that are trying to be, maybe they're the aggressor, you know, somebody that's in a same-sex marriage is coming after you. Well, are you saying that I don't have real love? I don't have real compassion? This isn't a real thing? you telling me this is all make-believe? No, no, we are real humans. I am telling you the Bible says that is not a real marriage. But I'm not denying that you have compassion for this person. I'm not denying your life. I'm not coming against you. I'm not going to knock on your door and separate you by force from your spouse. No, 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 no. They didn't do that in Corinth. We shouldn't do that today. But I am going to stand for biblical truth. I've shared this before. I'll share it again because it's true. If someone has an opposing viewpoint to the Bible, number one, they're wrong. But number two, they could be a great neighbor, and I will be the best Christian neighbor they, they can be. They will not have a better neighbor than me. I'll look after their stuff. I'll pull their their trash cans up the driveway if they want me to. They don't want me on their property and they want nothing to do with me because of my viewpoint. I will pray for them at a distance, respecting their ideas. You know, we used to be in a country where we could believe polar opposite things and still be friendly. Now we're in a position where if you don't agree 100% with the other person, you're somehow a racist bigot trying to destroy all of humanity. Well, that wasn't the way it was in Corinth and it shouldn't be the way it is now. But that being said, sexuality has been so twisted and so warped in our minds that it's even beginning to defile us in our marriages. Now, let's go back to what Paul is saying to the Corinthians now in verses 3 through 5. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except for with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of control. And we're going to spend some time here in these few verses because there's a lot to unpack here. I mentioned it earlier. We have desires and needs. We are people of... Flesh. We live in the flesh. We know the Bible tells us in Romans we wore the flesh and the spirit. And we have to be real that we have those desires. Because we have been twisted into thinking that real Christians don't have those desires. Far from it. Far from it. We need to be wise. I love how Paul closes out: don't allow t- tempt Satan to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Let's be crystal clear sexuality should be tied with self-control. Now, even the non-believer in our culture believes this. They just want to be very flagrant about it. They believe, and they, I mean, you know, the people that hold this belief, not all of humanity, that a a woman should be able to wear almost nothing, go through the town, and every man that looks at her should have uh, self-control. How dare you, toxic males, even think of trying to hold her accountable for those things so everyone believes in self-control everyone believes in self-discipline christian you need to have self-control single person here you are called to celibacy until you're married so go get married i'm going to say some rough things and i'm speaking specifically to the men in a little while just prepping you get your ice packs ready but it's true now i also want to relate I've been there. (laughs) I remember that old boss of mine looking me in the eye, convicting me, the Holy Spirit convicting me, like, what am I doing? Anyway, let's roll it back here. This appetite is not just to be fulfilled on a whim. Because what is the spiritual principle here? We need to care about our spouse. Your mind needs to be on what you can give to your spouse, how you can fulfill your spouse. If you have two spouses, husband and a wife, that are fulfilling each other's needs, they're thinking about the other. I want to be very, very clear, black and white today, because the culture has made everything so gray. Our sexual desires are not made for us to get what we want. And many single people are checking out the other person, saying, what can I get? And you're not looking at a co-laborer in Christ. You're not looking for someone that you can live with until the moment you take your last breath. Listen, if you're in a Christian marriage, you're going to walk, one of you is going to walk the other one through death. That's marriage. Now, we've been taught, what do I get out of it? Now, I'm not going to date this gal because she's not good looking enough. I'm not going to date this person because I can't get what I want out of the deal. Now, the Christian, you're supposed to be living for them. It's about service, not self. And so is all of our Christian walk. Now, Pastor Mike told me to go out there and marry an ugly boy, ugly girl. No, no, <laughs> did not say that. Keep your tweets and your text messages to yourself. But it's about something far more. Marriage was created, man and woman, Adam and Eve, for worship. Notice it says that the, in marriage, they should, if they make occasion to not fulfill each other's needs, they should do it together in a discussion. And what is that discussion for? Fasting and praying together. See, marriage is not built just around sexual appetites. That's what the world is trying to teach us. It is based on worshiping God together, growing in God together. Christian marriages are 100% on, through, and about God. And every other desire, appetite, need should be second to that. And we should have self-control. And when those decisions are not being made, you should not withhold from your spouse. You complete each other. Marriages are about reproduction. That's the whole purpose for that desire. God told Adam and Eve to go in and to multiply throughout the whole world. This is another key foundation. Because more human beings is a better thing, not a bad thing. Many people are trying to teach us that. There's too many humans. There's too many of us. None of them are volunteering to go. They want us to go. (laughs) No. More humans is good. More people is good. More people worshiping Jesus, even better. It's a purpose for life. Being married is about completing one another and fulfillment and walking through these things together through life. Your life partner. That's going to be there when you're uglier, when you're older, when you have dementia, when you're going through cancer, when you get laid off from your job, when you get humbled by the world, your spouse, your partner is to be there with you. Instead, we go through life, what am I getting out of this? We are called to control ourselves. When I am counseling with young men and women and they talk about the struggles and if they're not telling me about their struggles, they're lying, (laughs) I warn them, that it doesn't go away when you're married. The roles change, but the desires are still there. The sinfulness are still there. You have a partner in those things. I don't want to jump ahead. I wanted to jump ahead There's another verse later. We're going to talk about some more things that Paul's going to bring up. Each and every one of us, though, throughout your whole life, not just before you get married, not just until you get married, not just until your wedding, have to have self control and to possess ourselves, hold ourselves, to be able to be the one driving on the steering wheel, not Satan, not the world, not the flesh. To reinforce that, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. Hey listen, if you're holding out on each other, that's that's a sin. Don't do that. Now have a conversation. Have some deep conversations. Get to know your bride, get to know your husband. Start talking about some of those hidden things. That is your partner. That's your ride or die right there. You're going to be going through far more difficult things things that are harder than you could even dream of. I know because life happens to each and every one of us. And I'm not going to be there. Your spouse will be there. The pastor is not going to be there. I'll visit. I'll pray. I'll be worried. I'll be concerned. But then I'm going to go home to my bride. And only that person will be there. Don't deprive each other. But I also want to put something that hit me when I was studying this. The fasting and prayer part. I always avoid that because I'm so focused on the other part. Like Paul's saying, hey, the only time that you should hold out of each other is if you both decide to not fulfill those needs to get closer to God. If you're thinking about that more than God, if you're thinking about your spouse, you're getting a spouse more than God, or if you're even with your spouse, you're getting through a rut, pray together, seek God together. That's what we were created for, to complete one another in the sight of God. Don't deprive each other from sexual things. Yes, don't deprive each other from spiritual things. Nothing hurts me more. I I shouldn't take that back. She's got an arsenal of things that hurts me. But one of the things that Megan will say that will hurt me is, you have time to counsel others, but you don't have time to sit with me. It's like, ouch, that one hurts. And it's not true, but I can make the impression that it's true. Now, she also knows that people I'm really close to, I barely talk to them. <laughs> I'm around them. I'm a little more harsh to them. and That's not good. That's not good. I'm not bragging. But I have to remember my calling is to bring my spouse closer to God and her likewise. Encourage one another. Know each other's sins. To be able to speak to each other. And I want to talk to the single people here for just a minute. What do we do, Mike? He told us all the things not to do. You know, not be focused on that, not only that. Don't be desiring that. Don't be only going around that. This is what you do. Peter, he's speaking to young women, and he's going to speak into husbands, too, in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. And he has some spiritual principles for the church, for your way of life. And that's what I want to point out as we look into this text here. Be the right person and keep looking. Don't, it's not, you can't have one without the other. Grow closer to God and find your contentment in God. And look for a spouse. Don't stop looking for a spouse. Chapter 3, verse 3 of 1 Peter, do not let your adornment be merely outward. He's speaking to the ladies. Arrange the hair wearing gold, arranging the hair wearing gold or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. For in this manner, in the former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, you boys thought you were going to get off. Likewise, dwell with them with understanding. That's a lot harder than you think, isn't it, guys? Giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. That your prayers may not be hindered. I mean, there's some underliners here, isn't there? Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion on one another for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may have may inherit a blessing. Listen, if your marriage is a nightmare right now, odds are good there's enough people here. You need to read through these verses. It's first Peter chapter three, verses three through nine. It only takes one of you, husband or wife, to start. And the Lord will start working. We live in a culture where our young women are being told to become sexual objects, and then they're criticized for being sexually promiscuous, going out into the world. They don't, ladies, stop that. Guys don't want that. If they want that, they want it for a day. They don't want it for a life. That's not a life partner. Stop it. What they're trying to teach you is wrong. Having authority over a man, just coming and telling him that you're the alpha, you can do all things, you know, you don't need a man. The issue is if you keep telling people you don't need a man, you won't have one. The Bible tells us all the way back in Genesis 2, we are made to complete each other. Now notice, husbands, stop treating them like dirt, not returning evil for evil. It says, being of one mind and dwell with them with understanding, giving them honor. I have done so much laundry this last week without Megan. Last week. It's been two days, y'all. Two days. I've done more dishes and laundry in the last two days than I have in the last two years. That lady's getting some honor when she comes back. But I tell you, we always want to point out the other person's problems, the other person's faults. And then our single people are looking at us like, man, I, just, I wish I could have that. I really want that right now. And then those of us that have been married for a long time say, did I pick the right person? You know, 40 years later, you know, did I pick the right person? Always wandering the mind. Always, always looking for something else. Lies, lies, lies. Find your contentment in God. That's where our fulfillment is. And what the world is selling us is Poison. We know because it's corrupting our thoughts about our spouses, about our partners, about a future partner, about the role of a husband, about the role of a wife. And all these images and all these things are being impressed upon us. And that's what was happening in Corinth. They had all of the harlots. They had all of the prostitutes. They had all of the male and female slaves. They had all of the different um, backgrounds and paganism, you know, homosexuality. Attacking young boys, using pedophilia, it was all normal at that time, And here you have these religious Christians and Jews saying, "No, no, 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 no." And now they are wondering, if all sexuality bad? that's what's going to be listed here in a moment. Is all sexuality bad? To be dedicated to God, do I just need to wipe it all out? Well, in some cases, yes. But in the marriage, no. I want to point out before we go to our next session that you are not more righteous. You're not more holy because you have a good marriage or a bad marriage. You're not more righteous if you've divorced three times or no times. You're not more righteous if you're single. Our righteousness is from Jesus Christ, the grace of God, that he died for our sins, made us white as snow, and separated us as far as the east is from the west. Remember the previous chapter, as were some of you, he said. Speaking of the different lifestyles they were coming up, God can watch us and change us. He can change our minds. But now let's read verses six through nine. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as myself. But each one has his own gift from God: one in this manner, and one in an uh, excuse me, and another in that. Verse eight. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. I believe the question they asked is, should we be celibate? Which became a tradition with monks and with the Catholic priests. It wasn't until about 1000 AD. I'm sorry I didn't get the reference, where they, the Vatican commanded that all priests be celibate. Paul was saying, yeah, it, it's better. If you can do it on your own and you're only focused on God, you don't have to worry about kids, you don't have to worry about a wife, you can be 100% dedicated to serving God, that's better. And I said earlier, 99.99% of people are not called to live that lifestyle. I can't make it two days for a variety of reasons. But you're not more or less spiritual. And I love see, I love how the Holy Spirit it just knows us intimately. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. Don't try to be celibate and then stumble and fall. We do burn with passion. That's okay. That's normal. That's how we're made. That doesn't make you less spiritual. It's what you do with it. That's the sin. Is it fulfilled in marriage? No. I said I was going to be rough on the boys. I warned you. Specifically men. If you haven't been married for 10 to 15 years and you're middle-aged, you're burning with passion. You're not... Ninety-nine point nine nine percent of men. So, how are you fulfilling those needs? And it's because you are fulfilling those needs outside of marriage that you're not rushing to get married. It's an abomination. We want to we want to pick it and complain, you know, against homosexuality, against the culture, against them redefining marriage. You're redefining marriage because you're staying home. You're trying to fulfill those needs on private. You're not. Going out there and trying to find a spouse because you've been brainwashed to thinking they have to look like something that's not even physically humanly possible. You won't compromise. And then instead of using that godly passion that He's given you as a desire to go and get married, you decide to live by yourself. And you're starting to flip through the ladies like a Rolodex, especially now that you can do that online. Stop it. Stop it. Now, ladies, you got your own problems. I will let the lady speak to that on the women's study because I'm not going to dare pretend like I know. I don't know. I try and dwell with my own life with understanding. That's as difficult enough as it is. I had to lighten it up a little bit. There are reasons to be single, and I don't want to shame anyone who's single. In fact, they asked Jesus this same question in Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 through 12. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, speaking of Jesus, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. That means celibate. Some were physically changed. Some were born that way. Jesus knows. Listen, we, we set this standard, this godly standard for the family, but then we also want to point out, yes, yes, there is a very small minority of people that do not have the same organs that we do. There is a very small majority of people that do wrestle with sexuality, that do wrestle from birth, with what gender they are or claim to be. The issue I have is that society in America is trying to tell us like this is the norm, like the majority of kids growing up have issues with choosing their gender. Number one, you don't choose, it's chosen for you. And if we want to go all the way back to the nitty gritty, let's just call out the emperor's clothes here, the king's new clothes, you have a Y chromosome or you don't, with the organs or without. God has compassion. Jesus has compassion. There are people that are called not to get married. There are people that are called to stay celibate. That's okay. You're not less holy than a person who is. Some marriages do not have children. For whatever reason, you're not more or less holy than those that do have children. We are to have compassion and grace on everyone being a godly neighbor. Now, I am going way over on time today. Let's go to verses 10 to 13. We'll see how far we get. Now, to the married, I command, yet not I but the Lord. This is serious now. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does not depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if a brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Notice I said earlier that divorce is an abomination and it's a disgrace to marriage. But here he's saying, hey, if you're married and your non-believing spouse departs, let him go. There's nothing you can do about it. But if they're willing to let you stay married, stay married. If you can stay married, stay married. Because you never know what's going to happen. They're gonna, they might get saved. When I got married to Megan, she was not a believer. I'm All my dirty laundry out there. I praise God that within a month she got saved. It's just, that is the mercy of God. Never be unequally yoked to a non-believer. 99.9999999% of the time it does not work out. I would even say, well, let me shave it here in a little bit because I've got a verse to share with you. Put a pin on that one, would you? But when we think of weddings and we think of marriage... What is an image that's brought to your mind? How does that look like? Because really, it should look like this, getting old together. Now, I'm not going to say I have no idea, but I wonder how the conversations of fulfilling each other's needs happen at this age. I wonder what they both look like in their prime. It's too bad you guys that are single, you don't have on that dating app, like the present picture, like the fake one they put up to make everyone think they look great. The real one, like they should be mandated to put the picture of what they look like when they wake up in the morning. And then a future picture of what they look like in the last 10 years. Because it's not real. All that stuff is not real, it's fake. We have relationships with human beings, and that human being, you're to have a relationship until death. You made a commitment before God. There's so many people today, they're broken, they're alone, they're abandoned, they're shattered because their relationships didn't pan out, because they were force-fed all this nonsense, and they've had multiple divorces. They've been through multiple spouses. And nobody's coming to the house. Nobody's coming to the retirement center. Nobody's coming there. They're all alone because they they couldn't have the self-control to not fulfill their lusts. They couldn't have the self-control to be disciplined. They weren't able to possess themselves. They constantly thought, what about me, what about me, what about me? And when you start thinking about what about her, what about him, what about us, what about life, what about reality? Now, your whole demeanor can change and you'll realize how God made Adam and Eve in the garden to be fulfillment to one another and then most importantly serve God together our last few verses this morning verses 14 through 16 for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband otherwise your children would be unclean but now they are holy but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, a wife, whether you're, you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? That's if you're in a relationship, you're already married. Don't go into the marriage knowing that the person is not married. In Second Corinthians chapter 6, the very next letter, Paul's very clear. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? Now, I want to close our sermon with grace, unmerited, unearned favor with God. I told you earlier, none of us has this right. None of us is going to meet this expectation. Your husband's never going to be that great. Your wife is never going to be that awesome. You're married to a sinner, just like you. You're married to someone that wrestles with the flesh, just like you. You're going to know the very worst about each other and the very best about each other. Same thing is true of those that are single. Same thing is true of those that have been through multiple relationships. Same thing is true of those of us that have made some bad, bad choices. We have the grace of God. Could start all over. His mercies are new every day. And what God has given you, remember, godliness with contentment is great gain. But be focused more on Him. Hold on. Enjoy it. Whatever season of life you're in right now, enjoy it. If you're single, you're getting married, you've been married, you've been married five years, 20 years, 30 years, you're in a terrible situation right now, you're really messed up, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to correct. You're still alive. Hold on. Enjoy it. We're still fighting this fight. We're still running this race. You've been a bad spouse? You've been convicted today? Hang on. Enjoy the ride as you and correct yourself see what God does it doesn't always work out humanly speaking but in the heavenly it always works out well how can I say that because all things work together for good to those that love God so hang in there we have a real God with a real word for real life and real problems and he is interested like we said last week and Wednesday on the small things he wants to work with you He created us, and He put us together for a purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word, for Your encouragement and Your conviction, Lord. You say that You love those that You chasten, and yet You always cover it with grace. We thank You for Your mercy. We pray that You would continue to speak to us and use us, put this Word in our hearts, help us to be good neighbors, help us to be the salt and the light of the world, to have compassion and mercy but also to stand up for truth we thank you for all these things in jesus name amen come on up we'd love to pray with you if you have questions have a little difficulty uh, brothers and sisters will be up here and in the back available pray with you